When defending a biblical doctrine or practice, have you ever been accused of not caring for the lost? I've written a column in the latest Issues Etc. journal titled Playing the Mission Card. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Jeremy Lamont recounts his slow and sometimes painful path out of Mormonism to the Lutheran Confession. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Stanza three of the hymn, Lord of Our Life. That happens to be the hymn of the day for this coming Sunday. The gospel of that Sunday has Jesus talking a lot about the devil and his forces and their strategy. They are cast out from one place and then they returned with even more evil than the original demon. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Peter Bender will be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll be spending some time with Pastor Tom Baker teaching a Sunday school lesson on the martyrdom of Stephen in Acts chapters 6 and 7. And then Dr. Joel Bierman will be alongside. We're going to talk about lawful lethal force and the fifth commandment. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. What is the name of this third Sunday in Lent, and why is it called that? Okuli is the name. It's taken from the introit. It means eyes. It's where we get other English words like the uh, ocularity and so forth like that. It comes from the introit, uh, Psalm 25, verse 1. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. So it's the eyeball Sunday. The eyes are the organ of faith on this particular Sunday in those references. Faith that looks to Christ alone for deliverance from the power of Satan and his kingdom of unbelief. I think it's interesting, and we haven't drawn attention to this in our previous discussions of Lent 1, Lent 2, and Lent 3, but all three Sundays so far in Lent have had the element of Satan as a featured element in each of the Sundays. First Sunday in Lent, the temptation of our Lord, he faces the assault of the evil one in the wilderness. Last Sunday, reminiscere, remember me, O Lord, we had the account of the Canaanite woman who cries out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And then on this Sunday, Okuli, with our eyes fixed upon Jesus as the only one who can deliver us from Satan, his power and his kingdom, we have the account of how he casts out demons and the accusation comes against him that he does it by the prince of the demons, which of course is not true. And then the famous, the house divided against itself cannot stand, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So I think it's really important to draw 
attention to the spiritual dimension, the forces of darkness dimension, the evil dimensions, the satanic dimension to all of these Sundays in Lent. I mean, this is real spiritual warfare, and Christ is the only victor in this warfare. And we certainly see that in the first Sunday in Lent with his defeat of Satan in the wilderness with the word of God. We saw it last week when he delivers this woman from the assaults of Satan. And then we see it today. And the gospel for today ends with, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I also think, Todd, that I should be underscoring some obvious catechism connections, which are sometimes not obvious this deliverance from the evil one, if you just take the Lord's Prayer alone, the fifth, sixth, and seventh petitions, the fifth petition, forgive us our trespasses. I mean, it is finally the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, which is our power and strength against the evil one and his accusations against us. The sixth petition, lead us not into temptation. Luther says in the small catechism that We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice, although we are attacked by these things. We pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. In the seventh petition, but deliver us from the evil one. Luther writes in the small catechism, we pray in this petition, in summary of all of the petitions, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. So I think anytime we can draw attention to why we pray the way we pray or why we recite what we recite in the catechism and its connections to the theme of the day, the gospel for the day, it's it's really helpful for Christians in their own personal devotional life and in carrying the themes of Sunday, and in this case, Christ's victory over the evil one into their daily life. We can also think of that as our baptismal heritage, you know, as it, the catechism says, baptism works forgiveness of sins and rescues from death and the devil. And every day in our morning and evening prayers, we pray that the evil foe would have no power over us. So these are all kind of uh, highlights on this Okuli Sunday, where we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, who is the only deliverer from the evil one. What is the collect for the coming Sunday? The collect reads, O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Wonderful collect, and in this collect, the glory of God is always to show mercy. And I just love that expression. It's not only to show mercy to those who have never known the Lord and who then come to repentance and faith in him, are converted and are baptized, but it is the glory of God to show mercy to those who have perhaps gone astray, who are then brought to repentance again. So it's very interesting to me, in light of the gospel for the day and Jesus' warning about having the house clean from the evil demon, and then he wanders about and he comes back with seven demons more 
wicked than himself to occupy the house, that the last state then is worse than the first. So what we're praying for in this collect are for those Christians who have gone astray from the faith. We're praying for their repentance, for their deliverance, for those who have been brought back into the kingdom of Satan, having once been delivered, the ones to whom seven demons have returned to enslave. So it's a very interesting connection with the gospel for the day and how the spiritual warfare is ultimately Satan's goal to usurp the kingdom of God and to rob the kingdom of God from us, to steal faith, to destroy faith. So the return to faith is made possible only through the unchangeable truth of God's word, which this collect then also says that they may embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word with penitent hearts and steadfast faith. It's a great one of these collects that really uh, draws upon a number of the other propers for the day on this Sunday. The intro, it is selected verses from Psalm 25. Read it for us, if you would. Yeah, it's interesting. We had Psalm 25 as the basis for the intro on the second Sunday in Lent, and so also today. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. O guard my soul and deliver me. Now, among the things I find interesting in this selection of verses from Psalm 25, in addition to the theme for the day my eyes are ever toward the Lord is how it speaks in the first person. You know, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. I am lonely and afflicted. I lift up my soul and so forth. Also of note here is the troubles of my heart have enlarged. So you think about how devil world and our sinful nature try to deceive and mislead us into false belief, despair, other great shame and vice, as I mentioned in the catechism, or the evils of body and soul and possessions and reputation, which are used by the evil one to try to undermine and destroy faith. So here again, in the intro, the eyes are the organ of faith and for the entire Sunday. And what we look to is who and the one we are to believe in, namely Christ, who is the strong man who will deliver us from the evil one. There's a strong emphasis in the introit that highlights, as I said, the troubles of my heart, the distress, the affliction, and notice how it it ends, forgive all my sins. This is the source of victory from Christ against the evil one and his attacks upon us. So it concludes, let me not be put to shame, for in you I take refuge the one who is my deliverer from the evil one. The tract is Psalm 123, a portion of three verses. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. So as we know, the tract anticipates the gospel for the day. 
eyes are on this Sunday, the organ of faith. We are called to look not to ourselves, but to look to our Lord, who is, in this psalm, enthroned in the heavens as the victor over Satan. He is the stronger man who binds Satan, and he will bind Satan by his atoning sacrifice upon the cross and by the word of victory proclaimed in the gospel. So the prayer is simple, isn't it? And it's basic. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us in the battle against the evil one. Give us your victory. And so here we we move from the first person singular to the third person plural, us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. And we'll be moving to the gospel reading, Luke 11, beginning at verse 14, as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by Midnight Central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois, is a congregation of broken yet redeemed sinners who gather weekly to receive God's love and mercy. You won't find anything fancy here. We don't worship according to the latest trends. We follow the patterns of worship the church has used for millennia. We don't tell you to become holy like us. We invite you to be a sinner like us. Jesus delivers his forgiveness. That's what you'll find here every week for you. More information at OurSaviorMilford.com. Have you heard of the nuns? I'm not talking about Roman Catholic women who wear habits. Rather, I'm talking about those who mark none on religious preference surveys. It is the fastest growing religious group in the United States, and it's something we need to pay attention to. The March issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question regarding where they come from, what they believe, and how we can point them to Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of their sins. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. You mentioned before the break, and here is the gospel reading. It's this Sunday from Luke 11, beginning at verse 14. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. 
But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him, and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted, and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, and keep it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now, Todd, every time I hear this gospel, I cannot help but think of the ascription of the words of Jesus to uh, Abraham Lincoln. I mean, he quoted from this gospel, and we're more familiar with it perhaps from the King James, you know, house divided against itself cannot stand. But Abraham Lincoln didn't craft those words. Our Lord did. The gospel presents the warfare and the deep conflict between the kingdom of God on the one hand and the kingdom of Satan on the other, between the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, and the evil one, between the strong man, Satan, and the stronger man, Jesus. So you get this direct confrontation outlined by Jesus in his catechesis on the evil one in the gospel for this Sunday. The goodness of faith in Christ, the kingdom of God, which is always characterized by faith, the kingdom of God always characterized by faith, but it's the goodness of faith in Christ, the kingdom of God, and the malevolent evil of unbelief, and the kingdom of Satan is always characterized by unbelief, and the malevolent evil that flows forth from unbelief, that's the kingdom of Satan. These two are contrasted in this narrative. And this is proclaimed in Jesus' word. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me is against me. So in Jesus' catechesis on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, there's no middle ground. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of Satan. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me is against me. So those who sought a sign from Jesus and those who challenged him did so because if he is the Son of God and the promised Messiah, then his doctrine condemns them and their doctrine, their evil. 
I think it's important to note they are seeking a sign. And we remember in Matthew's gospel, he says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So the greatest sign that he is Messiah, that he is son of God and savior is the cross and resurrection. And that is also not only the sign, but it is the actual action of salvation that delivers us from the evil one and what gives power and strength to the word of the gospel. Now, Beelzebul, I think this deserves a little bit of attention. Beelzebul is the New Testament term that identified as the prince of demons. And it's from the Old Testament, the Canaanite deity Beelzebul. So you got Beelzebul in the New Testament, Beelzebul in the Old Testament, which means Baal, that false Canaanite god, Baal is prince. In 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 2, you have a change of the name from Baal-zebul, Baal is prince, to Baal-zebub. And it's used by the prophet who records 2 Kings as a derogatory term, an alteration of the name Baal-zebul to Baal-zebub. Uh, instead of Baal is prince, it's Baal is the lord of a fly. In other words, a God who couldn't really do much against the true God of Israel, Yahweh. So the Second Kings reference is a derogatory reference. But they're accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebul, by the prince of the demons. Well, the kingdom of Satan will fall, but not because it is divided against itself, but rather because the stronger man has come to bind him. And this binding of Satan and the destruction of his kingdom is, as I said a moment ago with the sign that they were requesting, it is related to the atonement of Christ. Christ binds the evil one, or to use the language from the Old Testament reading back in Lent 1, the crushing of the serpent's head, the destruction of his authority, of his power, it's the same thing related here, the binding of the evil one. And how does Jesus crush Satan's authority? How does he bind the evil one? He does so by taking the death and the punishment that you and I and the whole human race deserved for our sins upon himself. And so Satan has no authority. He's bound. He cannot condemn us if we belong to Christ. Christ is our righteousness. He has made atonement for our sin. Therefore, Satan has no authority over us. His word is no longer binding. He is now bound by the atonement of Christ. So Christ binds the evil one and lays waste to his kingdom by taking the judgment of the law upon himself. Therefore, Satan's authority to judge, condemn, and destroy is laid waste. And I think when we talk about the gospel for the day, Todd, this is a key and a very important emphasis to make. Then there's the reference of casting out the demons by the finger of God. The finger of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit by whom malevolent unbelief is cast out and faith in Christ and the gift of the Spirit is received. So here, God the Father sends forth his Holy Spirit through the Son of God 
by virtue of his atoning sacrifice, driving out the evil one. And we think of the baptismal liturgy, the exhortation, depart you unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit, which is what the proclamation of the gospel does. It drives away the demonic forces, the unbelief and the wickedness that flow forth from Satan, and it establishes God's kingdom of faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit in the heart. Jesus talks in this gospel about dividing the spoil. Now, that's a military term, isn't it? But in Isaiah 53, that great suffering servant chapter, which speaks so eloquently about the atonement that the Messiah as the suffering servant would make, at the end of that chapter, verse 12, it talks about dividing the spoil. So he redeems us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. So the entire world is redeemed by Christ. Every gift of salvation is won by him in his redeeming work. And so the dividing of the spoils as the victor here should remind us of that Isaiah 53, verse 12. There is then in this gospel, and I think this merits some consideration, a severe warning against the bondage that Satan desires to inflict upon those who have fallen away from the faith. If they were part of his kingdom and then were delivered from Satan into the kingdom of God, Satan would like nothing better than to marshal even more demons against them to destroy their faith in Christ. So this warning that Jesus speaks about the cleaned up house and then he goes and wanders about and he brings with him seven demons more wicked than himself to occupy the house so that the last state is worse than the first is directed to the baptized faithful. It's directed to you and to me. We need to realize that, as Luther said, you know, when we're baptized, we're made twice the enemy of the evil one. Satan would like to destroy us. So it is directed at the baptized faithful so that we realize how much Satan will hate us now that we have become Christians. So if the Christian were to then abandon the faith he once believed, the last state for him would become worse than the first. And, and we have to understand that Satan would like more than anything else to take out Christians, even more than to preserve unbelievers who have never known the gospel. I also say this to pastors, you know, he would like to take you out. If he can destroy the faith of a pastor, if he can turn him into a heretic, if he can knock him out of the kingdom of God, he then carries with that an assault on the entire church on the entire congregation. So I think this warning needs to be taken in this light as a catechesis on the mindset, upon the will of the evil one, upon what makes him tick about how he goes after Christians even more than the generic unbeliever and how he would like nothing more than to rob a Christian of his faith or to uh, come after him once he has been brought to faith. And so this does not mean the last state becomes worse than the first, that there can be no repentance, but rather that it is spiritually devastating to have known and believed the truth, only to later reject it. And so we pray, Lord, have mercy, deliver us from the evil one. And the antidote is the strong word from the stronger man. And so he replies to the woman who said, blessed are the wombs that gave you suck, which is true, 
But he says, no, even more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Finally, returning to the beginning of the gospel, you know, when the mute speaks is an expression that reveals the presence of faith, faith that confesses with the mouth, Jesus is Lord and believes in him and will be raised from the dead. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, the Old Testament reading from Exodus 8 is next. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Concordia University, Chicago. I'm going to die. Every one of us is going to die. At the time of death, the Christian faces so many assaults. We think about the death of loved ones that causes, at times, unspeakable grief. We can be assaulted by the regret over the things that we have failed to do. We wonder about the future. What will happen to loved ones? Where shall we for refuge go? To Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for a dying man's consolation Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. SimplyClassical.com Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
Understanding the spiritual nuns, the religiously unaffiliated, is the theme of the March issue of the Lutheran Witness magazine. It contains columns by Issues Etc. guest Matt Harrison, Peter Burfind, Roy Askins, and Adam Kuntz. An annual digital and print subscription to the Lutheran Witness is less than $20. Learn more at cph.org slash witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective, the Lutheran Witness magazine. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent with Pastor Peter Bender. Peter, we come to the Old Testament reading, Exodus 8, beginning at verse 16. How does it read? Yeah, I'd like to comment on uh, both this Old Testament reading and then an alternate Old Testament reading. This one from Exodus 8 is the third plague as God's judgment against Egypt and the fourth plague. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. This is the word of the Lord. So you see the reference to the finger of God there in the Old Testament reading, a direct connection then to the gospel for the day. But these gnats, we remember the uh, old King James, lice. These gnats usually breed in flooded fields in late autumn, but they arise miraculously from the dust. Barely visible to the eye, they sting, they cause painful skin irritation as they creep into eyes and noses. The third plague of gnats could not be duplicated by the occultic magicians of Egypt. This is the first of the plagues referenced in Exodus that those occultic magicians could not duplicate. And that's why they identify this as the finger of God. So the Egyptians venerated flies and beetles. It's something that uh, we may not realize. So now they've gone wild. These flies were more aggressive than the gnats, landing especially on the edges of the eyelids. And now in the fourth plague, just like there was a difference in the third plague, the magicians could not duplicate it. Here in the fourth plague, the Lord clearly makes a difference between the Egyptians and the children of Israel who lived in Goshen. No flies will afflict the Israelites. 
So you think about our baptism into Christ, the privilege that gives us. God makes a difference. On the one hand, we may be twice the enemy of the evil one as we were prior to our conversion. But on the other hand, we're on the Lord's side, and that gives us favored access to the gift of God's grace. So it's a, it's a great Old Testament reading, and it's the uh, first preferred choice in LSB. The alternate is Jeremiah 26, the first 15 verses. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. And I'm going to pause here, Todd, to note that Josiah was one of the bright spots as the kings of Judah during the divided kingdom. He was perhaps more faithful than any other king in Israel or Judah's history. But thus says the Lord, this is to Jeremiah for Jehoiakim, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, If you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you, and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all of the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. Now therefore mend your ways and your deeds, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I think we can note with the reading from Exodus, the first choice for the Old Testament reading, you see the Lord's judgment and victory over Satan in those plagues against the false gods of Egypt. You also see in that first reading the kingdom of Satan and the hardness of heart in Pharaoh. Here in the second reading from Jeremiah, you have a strong emphasis upon the word of God. We remember Jesus' word from the gospel, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the dramatic testimony of Jeremiah, who is sent by the Lord to speak his word. 
And because of it, he faces the prospect of persecution and martyrdom, just as we see that same prospect facing Jesus on this Sunday in Lent. The reason the Lord sent Jeremiah to preach his word was to call them to repentance and to spare the city of Jerusalem from disaster and destruction. What an irony. He sends them to preach to them, not because he wants to destroy them, but because he wants to deliver them from destruction. That's why John the Baptist was sent. That's why Jesus was sent. So you see this parallel here. But you see, again, this strong difference between the kingdom of the evil one, characterized by hard-heartedness, impenitence, unbelief, and a hatred of the spokesman for the Lord, and the kingdom of God that relies upon the word of God. And here in Jeremiah, you do with me as you will. But in truth, the Lord sent me to speak to you all these words. Unfortunately, they refused to repent and sought to destroy the messenger, and then the judgment of God fell upon them. What do we find in the gradual from Psalm 9? Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. So in addition to the petition here, calling for the Lord to arise, there is quiet confidence in this gradual from Psalm 9. On the one hand, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and forces of darkness. On the other hand, sinful man and the nations of this world are often allies of the evil one. So we pray in this gradual arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. So the gradual clearly asserts that it is the Lord who must give this victory. We cannot do it. We've seen that in the Old Testament reading. We see that in the gospel for the day. And this gradual leads us into the epistle, which really describes what the life of faith looks like as those who live in the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that epistle with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, next. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes. Dedicated customer service and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House. Listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House. cph.org. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org slash worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. With the war on chocolate that's been happening around us lately, it's time to change up our Easter gift giving. And Ad Crusom has a solution. We have hundreds of beautiful wares to enhance your and your loved one's devotions. See our prayer beads, icons, wooden plaques, incense burners, and of course, our beautiful new chancel culture mugs and swag. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Peter, we come now to the familiar territory of the epistle of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. This is the word of the Lord. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. To walk in love is to walk in Christ. To walk in love is to walk in the gospel. The concept of imitation as beloved children of God is a wonderful, beautiful picture, as well as an exhortation to the Christian to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, walking in his love, walking in his mercy, walking in his forgiveness, drawing strength from it, walking in his love, which is sacrificial and self-giving, rather than imitating the evil one, who is the opposite. As an ally with our sinful flesh, the evil one is self-centered, egotistical, believing in no one but himself. So this Walking in love is contrasted with walking in the ways of the evil one. Walking in love is the way of faith in the gospel of God's sacrificial love in Christ, whereas walking in the kingdom of God would be to walk not in faith, but in 
rejection of the gospel in impenitence and unbelief, which would turn us into the very evil one that we've been delivered from in the gospel. So you might ask, you know, what is a Christian or what does the Christian look like? According to this text, the Christian believes in Christ's sacrifice of love. And this sacrifice of love shapes his life toward others, his world view. It directs him outside of himself in love to the neighbor. The Christian flees from sexual immorality and covetousness, all filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. We flee from these things through contrition and repentance, through confession and absolution, in the life of prayer, in meditation upon God's word, in claiming God's promises, in seeking and crying out for his help and mercy. That's the walking in love. That's the way of a disciple. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's where our Contrition and repentance leads us to the word of God. Confession and absolution leads us to the word of God. Prayer claims the word of God. We cling to it. We trust in it. We live in it. We love it. The gospel delivers us from judgment, but it is not licensed to indulge the appetites of the flesh. It is our deliverance, and with it comes the new nature. And St. Paul exhorts the new nature to follow after the inclination of what the new nature creates in us by the power of the gospel. So the Christian does not partake in the fornication and idolatry of the sons of disobedience, which would be the sons of the kingdom of Satan, those who do not believe in Christ. The Christian is delivered from darkness and has become then the light in the world. The fruit of this deliverance is a life that walks as children of light, which means children of God, children of Christ. And the fruit of light or the fruit of Christ is found in everything that is good and right and true, according to the word of God and the gospel of our Lord's sacrificial love. What is evil and false is that which follows the evil one into the self-centeredness of idolatrous unbelief, the life of fornication and fulfilling fleshly appetites. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? I think the law has to be addressed to our malady. And I would mention three things here. Number one, every form of mistrust, every form of false belief. When we're driven to be ashamed and to despair of faith, to indulge in the sinful vices, these are all instruments of Satan by which he desires to destroy our faith in Christ. It's why I mentioned the petitions of the Lord's Prayer and Luther's explanations of false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice used by the evil one to undermine our confidence in Christ and thereby to thrust us back upon ourselves. So this is the first malady that I would cite. Secondly, our sinful flesh the old Adam is aligned with Satan. He's an ally of Satan. This makes us easy prey for unbelief. And every form of covetous desire that indulges the appetites of the flesh. So 
With this, the devil wants to tempt us away from any form of suffering or hardship of any kind, to take matters into our own hands, to chafe under the yoke of believing in Christ, and to seek to follow the appetites of our flesh. And so St. Paul gives the warning against that in the epistle for the day. Number three, and I think most importantly, is we don't have the strength within ourselves to defeat the evil one. Our strength comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from Christ. It comes from his strong word. It comes from the gospel that declares us righteous, that mitigates Satan's power. And so I'd make five points under the unique gospel for the day on the basis of this Sunday. Number one, Christ is the stronger man who defeats Satan. He's our champion. He's our victor. We saw that in the first Sunday in Lent. We see that in the deliverance of the Canaanite woman's daughter from affliction on the second Sunday in Lent. And we see it on this Sunday as he casts out demons by the finger of God, the word and the spirit of God. Christ is our stronger man. Number two, Christ won this victory through his atonement. That's what robs Satan of his accusing power to condemn us. You can't condemn me. Christ is my Savior. He has redeemed me. I love that quote attributed to Luther, and it really does capture Luther's language in the old Luther movie made some 15, 20 years ago. If the devil throws your sin in your face, you say, yes, I'm a sinner, what of it? But there's one who has made satisfaction for my sin. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is, there I am also. And he won that victory in his death upon the cross. Therefore, Satan has no power over me. Number three, the finger of God, the word and the spirit of God, drives away unbelief, drives away false belief, delivers us from great shame and vice through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, that we might be delivered from Satan and abide in the safety and the comfort and the consolation and the certainty of God's love and righteousness in Christ that we belong to him. Number four, in the gospel, Jesus says to us, I've defeated Satan for you. I have died for you. Therefore, he has no power over you. And I think it would be well of the preacher to speak in that way. It is as if Jesus were saying to you and then apply those words of the gospel to us. And then finally, this is good news when Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Luke eleven twenty eight promises every blessing of the Lord Jesus is ours through his word. He withholds nothing from us. And therefore, Satan can have no power over us if we are hearing the word and holding fast to it. The hymn of the day with a minute or two here, Lord of our life and God of our salvation. We actually studied that with Pastor Whedon on Monday. It's a great hymn. It speaks of the church. You know, when we're baptized, we become in the kingdom of God, and the devil is our enemy, and he's marshaled against us individually, and he's marshaled against the church corporately. Lord of our life and God of our salvation, you know, Satan cannot create life, and Satan cannot save. He can only bring about death and destruction. Star of our night and hope of every nation, hear and receive your church's supplication, Lord God Almighty. See round your ark, the hungry billows curling. See how your foes, their banners are unfurling. And with great spite, their fiery darts are hurling. O Lord, preserve us. 
And he does. He gives us this victory. Lord, be our light when worldly darkness veils us. Lord, be our shield when earthly armor fails us. And in the day when hell itself assails us, grant us your peace, Lord. Peace in our hearts, where sinful thoughts are raging. Peace in your church, our troubled soul assuaging. Peace when the world its endless war is waging. Peace in your heaven. And that peace comes to us through the word of the gospel of Jesus' victory over the evil one. I am your righteousness. I forgive you all of your sins. Do not be afraid. You have no power over them, evil one, for I have defeated you, and they belong to me. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thanks, Todd. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on the martyrdom of Stephen in Acts chapters 6 and 7 with Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel on the other side of the break. Then we're going to spend some time talking about lawful, lethal force in the Fifth Commandment with Dr. Joel Bierman of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.